How is everyone this morning? We're good, right? Yeah. You know, there are so many things that... Uh, one of the benefits of my job is there's a sanctuary in my office. And the other day I was having a bad day for no particular reason. Sometimes you just wake up and you have a cloud over your head. And I couldn't shake it, so I come in here and I do what Scripture commands us to do, and that's to rejoice always. So I, I take my time, uh, be able to, it, it's great to be able to get on your knees in the sanctuary and just talk to God. And I start going through the, all the things that I'm thankful for. Instead of focusing on the things that are bothering me that day, I think of all the things that I've been thankful for. And before I knew it, all of a sudden my attitude changed. And so I love when we get a chance to gather together because this is one of the things that I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for our time together, and I'm thankful for how the church is growing, not just size-wise, but I hope we grow in depth in our love and commitment to Christ. If you are new here, we work our way through a book of the Bible at a time. We do this so we can't skip the hard stuff, and also so you get a big-picture idea about what the Bible actually teaches and so we've been in the Gospel of Luke for I have no idea how long, um, but for a while, and we're coming close to the end. Uh, before too long, we'll get to the actual plot to kill Jesus, that's chapter 22, and then we'll get to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So we're getting towards the end of the ministry of Jesus, and if I were to ask you what is one of the main themes of Luke, you might kind of not be sure yet, mainly because we do this once a week, and you forget. So what I want to do a little bit is I want to use where we're at today to show you one of the themes that has been all throughout Luke. It's what the gospel has been trying to teach us over and over and over again. And so if there is a theme that is taught over and over, we better take heed and listen and learn from it, right? Uh, I'm going to name off a few things. We're going to be in Luke chapter 21, so you can turn there if you would like. Luke chapter 21 but here's Luke 10, 27, when someone asks, uh, what does it mean to be saved? How do we get saved? He says, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And we, we talked the other day about math and how God is bad at math because I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and body. That's 100%. And then I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. So if I give 100% to God, how much is left for other people? Zero, right? So how do I love God with everything and then turn out and love the people around me? This is a beautiful thing about the love of Christ. As we give love to Him, He gives more back to us than we could ever handle. And it overflows, right? So love should be overflowing out of our lives because of our relationship with God into the lives of the people around us. Scripture says, let them see your good deeds and praise your Lord above, right? So we should be overflowing with love for the sinner, for the atheist, for the Muslim, for the people around us who do not know Christ. Luke eleven forty two, 42, Jesus tells the Pharisees, Woe to you who tithe every little thing, but, but uh, forget and neglect the justice and love of God. Woe to you who tithe, like, woe to you who are all about your religion, but you forgot about the people. Verse 45 of Luke 11 says, Woe to you lawyers who load people with burdens hard to bear, but you don't help them carry it with even one of your fingers. You do the religious things, but you forget the people. Then Luke 14, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. They get angry that he broke the rules to help people. 
they have the religion and they want to have the religion really strong and they love the religion, but their religion has begun to exclude the very people that God wants to help. Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. You have 100 sheep, you lose one, you leave the 99 to go after one sheep. Why? Because people matter. The parable of the prodigal son. I could go on and on, but you begin to notice this theme all throughout Luke where Jesus is going and he's engaging people who have a very strong sense of religion and he's basically saying to them, you have missed the point. In fact, the whole history of the Jewish journey throughout the Old Testament is the adventures in missing the point. God sets them free and they essentially make themselves captives once again. And they begin to really focus the rules, the rules, the rules, the rules. And Jesus is like the people, the people, the people. It's the people. Now Luke 21, we're going to see this theme again. And it's going to look a little bit different, but the same theme is there. Uh, now this is called the Olivet Discourse. And the main reason it's called that is because either Jesus is teaching um, or he's sleeping... Uh, on the Mount of Olives. So he would sleep there, sometimes he would teach there, but sometimes right now he's at the temple. So uh, I, oh, I was going to have a picture, and I don't think I put it on the computer. But if you were to go to the Mount of Olives, you tend to think it's really far away. But if you are on the Mount of Olives, you can see where the Holy of Holies was. You can see where the temple itself stood. And it's so close, it almost feels like you could throw a rock and hit it. So whenever Jesus is teaching, he can look right at the temple and use that. And I love that illustration because as Jesus goes on his way to the cross, he leaves a garden and goes to the temple and it splits the veil. Now, on the veil of the temple were two angels, right? There was two angels on the veil of the temple that kept God's presence it was in that holy of holy place, and it didn't go out. But when Jesus Christ died, those angels parted, and his presence was able to come back out into the world. Now, why is this so cool? Because when we left the Garden of Eden, so we left a garden, God put two angels to guard it, right? It was sealed shut. Jesus leaves the garden, and he goes to die. We were in a garden. We left it, and we began to die. Jesus leaves the garden to go die. But something is different. His death enters God's presence into all of us again. It splits the angels instead of bringing them together. You see how there's these bookends. This, the scripture is trying to tell you a huge, big, long story. Now, a lot of people think the section that we're about to be in is regarding end times. And I'm just going to say here, this is pretty plain. It's going to be a very plain reading. And maybe next week we'll get to the part that is especially considered end time stuff, but this is not about end times. This is about something, what was a prophecy for the disciples, but has already happened when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So let me begin. We're in verse uh, 5. If you got it, would you say I got it? I'm trying to decide right now how much we're going to read. I'm going to, because we can break this down into three sections, so I'm going to read the first part. Uh, and while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when will there not be uh, left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be and when will this take place? And he said, 
See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Here, Jesus is at the temple. The last story we heard about is that the woman tithing just what little she had, and it was taking place at the temple. Jesus is people watching. And... Uh, Mark tells us that the person who mentions the temple and how beautiful it is is one of his disciples. So Jesus did this whole teaching about how everybody's giving all this money to the temple and people are giving tons, but he looks at the person who isn't giving much and is pointing out people matter, not money. And as soon as he does that, one of his disciples who is on the adventure of missing the point, like we all are, we're all on this adventure of missing the point, one of his disciples goes, But yeah, but look how nice the building is. Like it's a really, look at these stones, these precious stones. Now the people who came and gave their money, the temple is not even fully finished yet. They've been giving for years and years and years. So they were very proud of this building they had built for God. It was beautiful, it was gorgeous. And Jesus, almost like pulling the rug out from under them, says, oh, you think it's really pretty, it's not going to be here very long. This temple's about to be destroyed. This is a prophecy, right? So a prophecy is when God declares something that hasn't happened yet but will happen. It's one of the reasons that we can examine and test Scripture because we can look at what Jesus said and said, did this actually happen? Because there's lots of people who make prophecies all the time. In fact, if you were to go on YouTube today and type in Word of the Lord for and put in today's date, you're going to get several pages of people who claim to be prophets saying, here's the word of the Lord for this day, right? None of them happen of what they say, right? But here, Jesus is giving a prophecy to the people about what will happen. And he says it's not going to be good, right? Like, no stone will be left on top, and that is unimaginable that the temple would be completely destroyed and no stone left on top of another stone. And they're like, well, when is this going to happen? He says, you're going to hear about wars, You're going to hear about people claiming to be the Messiah. You're going to hear about all this stuff. Let's go on to verse 10. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. So he's full of good news here, isn't he? Like just a real chipper kind of guy going on. He says, not only are there going to be wars and rumors of messiahs, uh, there's going to be pestilence, and even your family members will betray you. Why? Because Christians are about to become enemy number one. There was a time uh, when Jesus shows up. Uh, it's called Pax Roma, the, the peace of Rome. 
And it meant that Rome had kind of established a long-standing peace in the way the world hadn't seen before. Now, they did this by just basically killing everybody who disagreed with them, right? They conquered everything, so they held uh, all power and kind of kept it peaceful for a while. So the idea that there will be wars and nation turning against nation had to be shocking because, like, things have been peaceful. But somewhere around 64, 65 A.D., there became a group of rebellious Jews who also claimed to be the Messiah, who also claimed to say that they were the one that Israel had been waited for, and they began to lead a rebellion that would turn the nation of Israel, instead of peace-loving, God-fearing people, into sword-wielding warriors. And when Jesus looks over Jerusalem, remember when he weeps over Jerusalem? You know why he weeps? Because he knows. Instead of learning that there is a way of peace and trusting that God is king, and you wait for the king to say, go to battle, you don't go to battle without your king. You don't do it before God says, now is the time. They became a kingdom for themselves. They rejected the teachings of God, and they tried to fight Rome. There's uh, the Arch of Titus um, that Rome built shows the warriors carrying things out of the temple in Jerusalem. So all of the precious things that you read about in the Bible, all of the Holy of Holies is destroyed and the precious gold is taken away. And we're even told that they would sacrifice a pig in the very spot where the Holy of Holies was as a way to mock God. Right? Take an unclean animal and sacrifice it to God. So it's about to be really bad for all of those people. Uh, we learn from historians. So one of the questions is, is it, did this actually happen? Were there false prophets? We actually know from historians that were not considered Christians, right? They're not Christians historians who write down these things had happened. And in fact, there was uh, one Caesar who ruled and his entire rule was filled with earthquakes. Like the, the ground was shaking constantly during his rule and they couldn't figure out why. That there was famine and pestilence. Rome began to block off any entry into Jerusalem. And they just didn't let anything come in or go out. So all of a sudden, the food supply begins to dry up. All of a sudden, uh, we have reports that they turn to eating dust and cannibalism in order to survive. The, the, the reports vary. It's anywhere between half a million and a million people died during this time. A massive amount of people because of what is going on. But Jesus, who is mentioning the judgment that is about to come, also offers hope and a way out. If you will follow me, don't be afraid of what you're going to say. I'll give you words. You ever uh, got to go into an argument and you do the argument in your mind for an hour and a half, right? You're trying to go to sleep and you're like, when I see them tomorrow, I'm going to say this and this and this and there's no way out, right? None of y'all do that. Um, but we have these arguments in your mind. Jesus is telling them, hey, don't even worry about what to say. When the time comes, I'll give you the words. And they'll be so flabbergasted by what you said. And don't worry, I'm not even going to let a hair on your head be harmed if you just stay consistent and follow me. Now let's keep going. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, there are a lot of people who take this to say this is regarding end times, but if we just read it in context, we see that Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple, something that we know happens in 70 AD. And I've been there, and there is a portion of an outer wall that is left, but everything else is destroyed. In fact, where the Holy of Holies sits, possibly, we don't know exactly for sure where the exact place of the Holy of Holies was, is now one of the holiest sites of the Muslim religion. And you go on a tour there, and the Jewish guide who is giving the tour has a very loud, angry uh, discussion with one of the Muslim soldiers because the Jews are not even allowed to say that there was a temple here before because the Muslims say no temple ever existed. This has always been Muslim holy land. And so as he's pointing out, this is where the Holy of Holies was, and this is where sacrifices were done. Uh, a soldier would like, no, 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 and they start yelling. And then our tour guide that we were with, uh, a wonderful guy, but all of a sudden just got really red in the face and is screaming at the top of his lungs. And after we left, we were all shocked. We thought, like, the war was about to break out, right? Like, oh, no, a holy war is about to be started, and it's our fault. And I go, man, that was intense. He goes, no, we do this every day. I said, what do you mean you do this every day? He goes, he knows the temple was here, but he is under orders that if anybody mentions the temple of Jerusalem, to tell them it was never here, it's always been Muslim holy land. And so I just remind him every time I'm here that it was here and he knows it. And he's afraid of getting fired, so he has to yell at me louder. He says, we do this every single day. <laughs> and you wonder why there's tension in the Middle East, right? So he, there, there's several parts that we can break down. The temple will be destroyed, but there will be signs that it's about to happen. There will be lots of wars. There will be earthquakes and famines, and you will be betrayed by family. Why is all this happening? Why is all this happening? The people of Jerusalem, they built a beautiful religion, and they built it without God. They, they had God as a part of it at the beginning, and unfortunately, sometimes we use God as a foundation to get started, and then we just move our house a little away from that foundation. And so they had built a beautiful religion that can get them killed because they forgot the people. God is bigger than the rules. God is bigger than being Baptist. There's not a Baptist door when we get to heaven, right? Now, we love being Baptist, and I, I love the Baptist church, and I love the doctrines that we have worked really hard to solidify and say, we believe this is truth. But Baptists have made mistakes over time. The church that I grew up in uh, said it was a sin to dance. Not specific kinds of dancing. It was just a sin to dance. If you point out, David danced before the Lord, well, I guess he was doing something wrong, right? There are churches that say you, it's sinful to play music in church, that you should have no stringed instruments, yet we are told to pick up our harp 
and play. So you see, even the best of us with good intentions, we make mistakes sometimes. And what I want to warn us against is not being so religious that we forget God and his people. Because there is a way to have a religion that gets us killed. The end of Judaism is what we're reading about right here. The end of Judaism and the beginning of Christianity. Judaism was fulfilled and was no longer necessary with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, no more sacrifices need to be offered in the temple. Aren't you glad we don't have to bring a goat every week? Right? Especially with inflation, goat prices go up, right? We just don't have to deal with that. Aren't you glad that we don't have a stream? I mean, when we think of the temple, we think of this beautiful place and peaceful and quiet. Um, it was actually quite grotesque because there was constantly blood. Constantly blood. Blood all over the place, right? Just flowing. Flies and all the animals. A, a place of commerce. It wouldn't be this beautiful, pristine place. But it was built to remind us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And then Jesus Christ, with the shedding of his blood, ended the necessity of sacrifice. And so at the same time that Jesus comes, the temple is also destroyed shortly after. Jesus has been hammering home in the Gospel of Luke and to his disciples. It's the heart, it's the people, it's the love of the Creator, not the creation. It's the people. Love God, love others. I think this is important because one of the things that... Uh, this church has a unique struggle, right? We, we've got a unique struggle. So um, it's beautiful how God has orchestrated it. And I, I have no doubt that over time we become one family. But how many of you were a part of Benone? Raise your hand. Benone Church. Right? So if you look around, you see people that were a part of Benone. Some of you don't even know what Benone is. So there was a church plant back here in the back... Uh, that originally I came on board to help with the elders to get the church going, right? How many of you were a part of Logos? We got a couple of Logos people over here, right? So you don't even know what Logos is. So Logos was a church I pastored in Tulsa. Instead of hiring a new pastor and leaving that one and coming here, I just asked the church, hey, would all of you like to come and be a part of a church plant? Because Logos was a church plant. And they said, sure. So that church came here and became a part of Benone. And then how many of you were a part of First Baptist Catusa? Raise your hand. We have First Baptist Catusa people. So Benone merged with First Baptist Catusa. Now we're Catusa first. Raise your hand if you've only known Catusa first. Look at that. Look how many people have just come to Catusa first. Praise God. But the problem is, is we have the Logos group, the Benone group, the First Baptist group, and the Catusa first group. And we need to be one body because it's the people that matter. It's the people that matter. We, we've said this last week, and this is something that I'm going to hammer home over and over and over again. There are three tables in Scripture, right? There's the table of the home. This is where we invite lost people in or other church people in, and we have fellowship. We don't invite people over anymore. We don't open up our door in our house like we used to. Even the way homes are designed, there might be a kitchen table, but it's this size instead of the length of a pew, because you don't have eight people over to your house. If I remember growing up and going to my grandfather's, and he lived out on the farm with not a lot of neighbors, but he had a huge long table in a giant dining room. And you wonder why. It's because all the farmers would come, and they would gather together on a regular basis. There was community. 
This world is desperate for community. And unfortunately, we also live in a society where you can go to a church and have all the religion you want and never get to know the people. We don't have church religious community. And my desire is not for this church to grow bigger if we can't grow closer at the same time. Then we would do it wrong, wouldn't we? I had a, a friend who went to a church, and I say, why do you go to that church, you know? And they said, well, uh, I like it because I can just kind of show up and leave, and I never have to get to know anybody. That'd be, I mean, I can understand. That's like a safe thing, right? Especially if you're introverted and you're like, oh. The, the greeting time is absolutely the worst time of church for you. You're like, hi, how are you, right? And I can understand that. But is that, is that what we want? Or do you need somebody that you can call at 3 a.m. on the morning because, you know, you lost a loved one and you're just, you don't know where else to turn? You'd be amazed how many people don't have that one person in their life. You'd be amazed at how many people just don't have somebody they can turn to when things are hard. The, the world is a lonely place and it's creating lonely kids and lonely adults. They're busier than ever. They, they have more sacrifices and events, they do more stuff, but yet they feel lonely. I think one of the things that we can really take away from what Jesus is teaching about the destruction of the temple is that there is destruction that comes upon us. See, the destruction of the temple in many ways is a self-inflicted wound. God gave them all the commands to follow. He gave them the path to walk. He gave them what they needed to know. And those who heed his voice were going to be saved from the destruction of the temple. Right? Christians did escape. Christians did scatter. Like those who listened to Jesus were saved in the long run. Maybe not in the way that we think, because their lives got really hard, and many of them were martyred later on. But regarding this specific destruction, Jesus gave plenty of warning and plenty of time, and he gave a way out. The same is true with our sin. A lot of our wounds are self-inflicted. Right? A lot, like, I, I have not been hurt by anybody the way I have hurt myself. <laughs> Most of the bad things in my life are not because of you. They are because of me. And nobody has lied to me more than I have lied to myself. Most of my wounds are self-inflicted. The thing is, is if I would be faithful in studying Scripture, reading and being attentive to the things that God is trying to teach me, He has warned me of the destruction before it happened. Caleb, if you go down this path, it's not going to be good. Caleb, if you continue to have this attitude, it won't be good. Caleb, if you continue this way, I'm trying to convict you. I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to equip you. Caleb, if you would be faithful and follow what I have laid out for you, it is for your own benefit. And I go, Maybe, but I kind of want to do what I want to do. He says, okay, but if you do that, there's destruction. Because sin always leads to destruction. Sin leads to death. That is the end result. And so in our own lives, we need to ask ourselves, has God been warning us about anything? Has He been telling us, hey, if you don't get over your pride, if you don't get over your ego, if you don't begin to love people, you're going to find yourself lonely and frustrated and annoyed by everything. Who keeps preaching to me? Right? Oh, that's me. Sorry. Right? And if you don't do that, then destruction comes. It's the people. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your body. And people go, yes, Lord, we do that. We love you with everything we have. And he goes, you love me to the degree that you love the people around you. I heard a quote, if I can get it right, you only love God as much as you love the person you hate the most. Now, that's not in... That's a paraphrase. I think we can make a biblical argument for that. But I started thinking about the people that I don't like. And I was like, oh, I don't love you nearly as much as I think I do, God. I don't love you nearly as much as I think I do. We say things because we want them to be true. We say that we are a loving church. And that's true. We say we are a family church. And that's true. And we say that we're a community church. And that's true but I think we're just barely scratching the surface of what we can be. I think we're barely scratching the surface because we're still a small church. And look around, and how many people's names do you not know yet? These are your brothers and sisters in Christ in the battle of a lifetime to fight the darkness of this town. This is the army. These are your soldiers. We're in the foxhole together. Let's, let's learn their names. Let's invite them over. Let's love each other with a brotherly and sisterly kind of love that makes the rest of the world scratch their head and go, I want what they got. Right? Yeah. Amen? Let me pray. I'm going to give us a time of response. The band is going to come and play. And I just wanted us to think, think a little bit about that. Think about the warning that they heard that the temple was going to be destroyed and how many people didn't heed that warning. Now think about how many times God has been patient in trying to correct you in certain things. Have we heeded the warning? Johnny Cash uh, had a song that says, you can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. Now that sounds mean and hateful, but really it's the self-inflicted wound that we see right here. It's sometimes God lets us suffer the consequences of our actions. Even in Romans when it says about uh, people that just caught up in sin. It says that God is going to reveal his judgment on them by just allowing them to do what they want to do. Sometimes God's judgment just looks like letting you do the stuff that you want to do. That's what's that? Yeah, it's pretty effective, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, I'll tell this one story and then we'll have a... So... If you don't know, I, I was an atheist for a while. I say that I was a, I said I was an atheist, but I, looking back, I was just mad at him, right? I was just an angry little child. And I sold drugs for a living. That was my job. Um, and so I went to jail a couple of times. And the time that I spent the longest in, because my dad was a police chaplain, and so... I could usually use him to get out of trouble. And one day, uh, I was leaving a gas station near my house, and I thought it would just be fun to like, do a burnout, and I'm doing skid marks all around the gas station parking lot, and I didn't realize there was a cop across the street. Uh, and I go into the neighborhood. Well, he comes in, and he chases me down the neighborhood. And I was like, man, I'm on probation, and I have no driver's license, and there is alcohol in the car. So I know I'm in trouble. The cop comes, and he roll down the window, and I said, hey, my dad's a police chaplain, and we literally live a block away. If you call him, he can come and get me. So the officer says, give me the number, 
goes and he calls my father and it's about one o'clock in the morning so my dad is excited to hear uh, a police officer on the other line. He says, are you a police chaplain? He says, yes, I'm the head of the police chaplains for Tulsa, Oklahoma. He said, well, we have your son right down the road. Can you come and visit with him? So my dad shows up and I can look in the little rearview mirror. I'm in the back of the cop car and uh, they don't want me to pick my nose so they put my hands behind me like that. I guess that was the reason. Um, and I see my dad have this conversation with a police officer, and he's looking at me in the back of the car, and he's looking at the officer, and finally I can read his lips, and my dad says, take him. And my heart hardened. And I was full of rage and anger as my dad walked by the car, and he looked in the back at me. I made sure that he could read my lips as I told him I hated him. The officer took me away, and they booked me, and I was in there for a little bit. Now I tell my dad that was the greatest thing he ever did for me. That was the greatest act of love that he had ever shown me. He allowed me to suffer the consequences of my actions. He gave me judgment, but if we will be careful and listen to the judgment of God, it leads to peace in life. The judgment of God is not merely punitive. It's corrective. He's trying to teach us something. So those times where you feel like God is absent, where you feel like things around you are crumbling, that might be God trying to teach you how to live. If we're only trying to escape the uncomfortable situations, that might not be the right answer. Sometimes we're supposed to live in those uncomfortable situations. Though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, right? Sometimes you're supposed to walk through it. That's God's plan. We always say, Jeremiah 29, 11, in a positive way, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God's plan could be you for, to walk through the valley of shadow of death. That could be his plan because there are things that I will only learn that way. This head is really hard. And I don't learn through subtle little hints and, hey, maybe don't do that. No. A baseball bat aside the head is the only way that I learn, like God's saying, you cannot do that because it leads to destruction. But then he gives me a way out. So I'm going to pray. Think about what God has been trying to teach you in the uncomfortable and difficult times. Has God been trying to show you that there is a way for life? We're thankful that he shows us the prophecy that shows that God knows the future. He knows the future of the temple. He knows the future of you. You are in his hands. And if we will listen to his teachings, he will keep us safe 